Hello and welcome to CritCast. Uh, this is episode four. Uh, deck construction. No, no, it's not deck construction. <laughs> uh, it's hold objective play. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about um, all the in, ins and outs of hold objective play. Uh, yeah, and all the little nooks and crannies and how to get the most out of it. Uh, but before we go more into hold objective play, uh, I'm just going to introduce you to my co-host for today, uh, Rob Gilmore. So without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, John. How are you doing? Um, Not too bad, are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've had a very nice day, actually. Um, yeah, so I'm Rob. I play some Warhammer Underworlds. Um, I guess you've got me on here because, you know, I like playing all those sort of techie war bands and uh, janky Yes. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I suppose I like to do or try. I don't always succeed at doing something a little bit unexpected. And I really enjoy playing hold objectives. Um, I'm a kind of terrible aggro player, I think. Um, well, you're surprisingly annoyingly good at it, but not intentionally. At aggro? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Lucky dice, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've you know I come from that sort of that Reading meta that you're uh, you're sort of constantly bigging up. I've um, yeah, best players. What is that? Best best uh, Warhammer Underworlds group of players according to BCP in the world. Yeah, for a little bit. Although um, I think a lot of that's based on grand clashes, and uh, I don't I don't show up to them quite often. <laughs> I think. Yes. Yeah. I've got I've got my glory tokens, but I'd, uh, I'd quite like to. Talk well, you're kind of prolific in the tournament, the sword tournament scene. Um, so I think you've won. I don't know how many trophies you won. I just know it's a lot. I've, I've, I'm on nine glass at the moment. That's um, good. I think I've won eleven tournaments, so a, f- a few without glass. Um, yeah, I'm not very good at bigging myself up and talking about myself. You know, I like to play for fun. The, uh, yeah, don't worry, I can teach you how to do that. That's uh, <laughs> uh, a skill I've mastered over my long years of playing. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, you're a very technical player, and I think. Um, yeah, you were playing hold objective play before it was cool. Uh, you and the Reading guys in general, actually, I'd say. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. So I started playing probably oh two or three months after Night Vault had come out. Yeah. Um, it was it was a bit odd. I was just sort of in a slightly weird place in in life. I'd had quite a difficult time for it, the sort of few years preceding it. And at the school I work in, they'd started a Warhammer club, and mm-hmm. I used to play a little bit of forty k as a teenager. Um, and I think everyone's been graced by 40k at some point. That's good, man. Just chucking a million dice and it, I used to we, high level play. It was amazing. We used to blue tack orcs together and stuff like that. Our, our little local store in uh, in Reading, they used to do a thing called a bring and battle on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, I remember those so much. You just grab a random unit of miniatures, and it just it was just the same game, just never stopped all day. That, I used to love that. Um, so yeah, I played a little bit of 40k as a teenager. I suppose a little bit, a tiny bit of Blood Bowl as well. I had Blood Bowl and I had Dungeon Bowl and I loved the minis and I mm. painted them incredibly badly and I probably played about two or three games, you know. And then anyway, at school they started this Warhammer club and I was sort of working on it and I'm like, oh, I quite like this actually. This is really good. And I went home and, uh, you know, some power Googling suggested uh, you know, Warhammer Underworlds as a box game you can buy. And I thought, oh, that's really clever because I can just buy the game and I won't have to buy a million other miniatures. Um, but little did I know that I would buy that game and then buy a million other miniatures. So For a fair price, <laughs> I might add. I, I, no, I think, you know, I do think 
it represents really good for value for money. You can buy everything for a couple hundred quid. Whereas I suppose to put a a 40k army on the table or, if, or a you know legion if you're on a different game system is going to cost way more than that. Um, Depressingly expensive, I, I like to put it as. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I started playing, and um, I remember meeting you. I think it's well, I played David Smee who was on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he just said he'd sort of introduced me to the rules of the game, and mm. thoroughly tabled me and taught me the rules, and then he said, oh, you should go to some tournaments. They, they'll get you good. So I went to a tournament just with the Ghosts deck that, that came in the box. And uh, I didn't come last. I came second last. And I'm very, very proud of that achievement. Yeah, I remember that tournament. Uh, it was very interesting. A lot of Because in- that's the one I won with my Chosen Axes to get their trophy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Don't stop but, with uh, Chosen Axes again. I love my Chosen Axes. Um, but yeah, since then you've been like, I, I would rate you as probably one of the most technical players I've come across, especially like the Reading players in general are like high level technical play. And I'd say like technical play involves not just cards, but the way you set up things and how you resolve and like plan out your games. Yeah. Um, and I would group you in one of those high level players. I mean, it's, it's kind of you to say so. I think some days I feel like that and some days I feel like I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, uh, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> people are like, how do you do this? John I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's a good question. Well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I sort of, I, you know, I got. I suppose I got really addicted to the game super quick and went out and you know just bought everything. I remember going to a store tournament and buying. Uh, was it the orcs? Yeah, it was the orcs because that's what Superior Tactician came in, and I'd taken <laughs> like a Curse Breakers deck, but bought it and then just shoved it straight in my deck that day. And that was the, that was the first trophy I won. And then uh, maybe a week or two later, won another trophy with the Curse Breakers. And Smee was riding me hard for playing on easy mode. I'm like, I've only been playing two months. Um, yeah, that was a weird thing. I think it was just because you can t- you can like entirely shut down his eyes of the nine. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure he took a game off me. We practiced so much together got, leading up to the Grand Clash and stuff. And uh, yeah, that was fun times. But then. Um, I just got bored, bored of that, and I thought, I'm going to try a different warband. So I went, well, I've done a sort of you know small model warband. I'll go for a big model warband now. Mm. And I started playing Gits, and I ground and ground with them for months. And I think that's when I got good as a player. Because, you know, Curse Breakers, you know, I think there is some finesse and stuff in there, but you can you can sort of consistently score and consistently do fairly well with them. Yeah, they're too forgiving, especially as a starter warband. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. I think as a starter warband, it's probably good to have something a little bit forgiving. Because then. Well, it's more like they're too broken in the hands of any decent player, I'd say. Uh, yeah, um, I'd maybe agree with that. It's like they're good for uh, getting used to the game, but then they force you into like bad habits because you play other warbands and they go, why can't I score as easily as the Curse Breakers? Yeah. Uh, and then you usually default back to the Curse Breakers because yeah. you go, ah, that's just the only way to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when you go to sort of gits from Curse Breakers, it's a really stark contrast and you suddenly have to start, th- you know, I think start thinking about those technical things you're talking about, like how am I putting the boards down? Why am I putting the objective there? Why am I doing this? Which fight is going yeah. where? And actually... 
you're not thinking about what you need to do that turn. You're trying to think what you need to do in three or four turns time. Yeah, and it's really difficult to do with Warbirds like the Curse Breakers because generally they don't need to. Well, they, um, they can afford to be a little more responsive. Yes. You know, right. um, but it's like... Um, because hold a hold objective play is like in vogue now. It's like really popular, but back during I'd say night vault times, it was basically non-existent. Not until the, it was like until the end of the game, just before Beast Grave, mm-hmm. it wasn't really viable. Um, and yeah, I think you were probably like because as people are probably sick of me talking about now, uh, my Swarming Spirits Grand Clash deck was basically stolen from you and Rob, not um, you and David Smee's ideas. Uh, and just I just stole everything and from playing against you guys, and also like you guys forced me to play hold objectives because um, back then it was more difficult. It was really not consistent like it is now. Um, but yeah, I think like yeah, we'll, we'll get into hold objective play now then because basically, yeah, today's episode is all about hold objective play. If you didn't get that already, <laughs> um, but it's interesting because hold objective play was originally. They're most consistent, but most looked down upon because you had to hold objectives one to five, supremacy, and like our only way out back in Shadespire. And no one ran it because of Earthquake, Great Concussion, which was banned. Yeah. Um, but because hold objective play was so slow, you either played aggro or control or flex. You didn't play any sort of hold control element. I think it's only Ooh. up until... Because uh, Sepulchre Guard did it well, but then people stopped, but until Gits came out and Eyes of the Nine, it was kind of non-existent. Yeah. I mean, it's that's quite interesting because I didn't... That tournament I was talking to you about a minute ago, that the, was the... I think it was like the day after or two days after the first ban and restricted list came out. So I never knew a meta where Great Concussion existed. Um, obviously, Earthquake was still a card. Yes. Maybe encountered it once or twice because everyone put their um, restricted into their um, objectives and stuff. And, you know, no one was running hold objective at the time. And I think I just, I just wanted to try playing a slightly different way. And I think I really enjoy that. I think when you look at your hand of cards and your objectives and what you're trying to score, I really Mm. like that idea of, Right. What am I? What do I need to do to score these big cards? And I remember you saying to me once we were playing a game, and I, was it? I think maybe your god sworn into my gits. Yeah. And you were sort of scoring consistently, and then it would get to the end phase, and I'd score seven or eight, and we'd catch up again. And each time you sort of have that ex- exploding thing, and I really like that sort of that big play and and thinking, trying to think a couple of turns ahead, and how do I get there, and and things like that, really. And um, I don't know, for my slightly obsessive brain, I think that just suits me a little bit better. Um, <laughs> no, it makes sense because, um, yeah, it was like back then, like the trade-off to hold objective play, you, wasn't, you wouldn't score generally much during the activation. No. But in the end phase, if you played off, you would score like a massive burst of glory and either yeah. catch up or take the lead. Yeah. I remember um, struggling so much to find decent surges for the gits. Um, I think in the end I was only running four, but I doubled down on infestation and overextended. So you have to hold yeah. all five objectives or, you know, delete one of them and only hold four of them. And then suddenly you'd score like 10. I think my best, I scored 12 glory in an end phase once. 
and yeah that just <laughs> you know you just go oh, that's broken that's more than some war bands scoring a game yes the whole deck the whole deck every single power and uh, upgrade card is about getting on those objectives staying there yeah because i think a good trait about hold objective decks in general is you're not generally aiming like if you score everything, that's amazing because you get this massive glory ceiling. But the trade-off is you've got higher scoring objectives, but you don't always score them. So you have a bit more redundancy in the deck. Yeah, I, w- I would um, expect to score everything. Although now... Now you would. I suppose it, it's interesting because I was sort of, you know, before we were doing this podcast, I just sort of scribbling some notes down. And I was having a chat with one of our sort of... Um, I think it was Smee the other day, actually, one of my regular opponents, mm. about... There's, I think there's actually two different styles of objective play at the moment. Mm. And, you know, the whole conversation we've had, we've talked about hold objective. And I'm not sure you need to do hold objective at the moment. I think you can do sort of, I don't know, I'm like grabbing an objective. Yeah, it's more like activation, um, hold objectives and end phase objectives. Yeah. Because um, so- I would, like, I'm going to say something controversial now. Yeah. Controversial now. I don't think a lot of people know actually how to play hold objectives still because um, everyone's so focused on um, the surges. Yeah. Basically they don't actually know how to play hold objectives and people may go like, how dare you say that? Or like, what do you even mean? Um, but as you said, most people focus on like the surge aspect of it. Cause at the moment you have temporary victory, uh, swift capture factions. Some factions have like their own temporary victory, which is holding free objectives for two glory. Yeah. And like the end phase is like, oh, I might score supremacy or coveted spoils, and that's it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of decks now. You sort of chuck supremacy in and go, if I get that, it's nice. Yeah, and that's as as much as you think about it. Um, whereas I, th- I think there's a real thing. I, I don't know what what order I want to do this in. Um, so I'll say this, but I think there's a real thing about timing when it comes to your objective play. So back in Nightfall, the way I would run it is I would basically spend probably three activations, maybe making some charges and some sort of distraction reactivity, like I'll go and chuck that fighter over there and hope you think he's an easy target and go and attack him. Or mm. chuck that fighter over there and you go, oh, it's, you know, I have to kill that fighter, he's a real threat. And then on the last, the last possible moment, I'd be getting onto objectives either through my pushes or if you're running a sort of warband that has some sort of built in an action economy in the final activation and then looking at your opponent to respond um whereas now i think because you've got your temporary victories and you're in faction stuff and all that you face a choice about when you do that sort of thing and i think I'm still a little hung up. I probably don't want to do those things in my first activation. You know, if I draw a hand and it's got, you know, temporary victory and swift capture in, say, I'm still thinking I want to score that in the fourth activation and I'm going to hope I draw into a path to victory or a supremacy or or whatever. Yeah, I think the real, like, the issue you have is you go, I need to score, like a general trap I find in general is people go, I need to score my surges as soon as possible. Um, just to get them out of the way and then go, oh, if I get them out early, then I know what I get into. But the issue is you're generally burning so much to get those surges. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to hold objective ones, you're actually destroying your ability to hold the objectives in the end phase and the final power step. And and that's where the big glory is. 
you know, if you get supremacy yeah. off or or whatever, it's you know, three glories not to be sniffed at. That's that's as much as some some of the big sort of third end phase cards. So if you can get that first activation, or you get a dug in, or you double down on dug in and supremacy, and that's a kind of beautiful moment. You go, I've probably won the game here. And yeah, because the issue is, um, like in the main game at the moment, surges are almost can't stop them mm-hmm. but end phases are where the real gl- glory is at and i've had people go like multiple people tell me oh they just focus on the surges if they get the surges first they get the advantage and that's the that's the main thing they need and i get that but the issue is you're paying so much of the advantage yeah if your opponent stops your end phase objectives that's at least one more round you can't score those yeah so generally you go oh if i can't score my end phase i'll just ditch them but doing that even like that just makes your glory difference where well, your glory potential drop even more and especially if you're neck and neck with your opponent mm. losing your end phases while they score them is just a massive blow which i think a lot of people don't realize or acknowledge yeah yeah i agree with that i mean there is a thing you know and i suppose it depends on your style of play if you're running aggro and you get your surges early and you can afford to stick a bunch of upgrades on that's maybe not terrible um but i think if we're talking about that hold objective thing because in hold objectives you invest so much glory into your end phase you can't really just go oh i'll get my surges um because you you basically will always be guaranteed to set up your surges because they at most they'll take three activations to do l4 yeah um but then you're guaranteed your end phase and i think a lot of people just overlook that to score their surges as quickly as possible well i I don't Uh, you're not i don't think you're guaranteed it you know, and a lot of people were packing mischievous spirits at the moment. You know, obviously, restless price has been restricted recently. Um, yes, but I think it's still going to be a popular card because it's. Amazing. You'd be surprised. A lot of people have seemingly not taken it, which I find incredibly weird. Um, you but need, that's you either need restless prize or two pushes to recover from it. Yes, and that's yep. that's big in, in my head, at least. Um, yeah, it's just because uh, there's a lot of traps at the moment where people will. Uh, some people think hold objective play isn't viable at the moment because of mischievous spirits, which allows everyone to, well, both players to push. Uh, so the play push plays it gets to push three objectives, or the other player gets to push two, and people think hold objective play is dead because of that. I mean, um, but I think it's just a lot of overreaction, in my opinion. I do think mischievous. It's weird because I think about earthquake, and like I said, I don't. I never played in a meta where it existed. Yeah. At least in Earthquake, everything went the same direction. Whereas if you've got mischievous spirits and your opponent's got mischievous spirits, it doesn't reset it. And yes, an insanely um, powerful card. Um, it is like I'm not underselling its value, but there is counter. Like if you have like two steps forward, and like restless prize or a sidestep, you can counter it, and you can argue, oh, that's two cards for one. Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah, but if they don't, if they've burnt all their push cards already. Um, now you've effectively saved that, especially if you've got cards like Quickening Groups. Well, uh, but that's something I'll get onto later. Yeah, so that that brings me back round to that timing thing. If you've so you know you see temp, you know if I'm running Beastmen, I've got Temporary Victory and is it Despoilers? And I'm looking yes. at them in hand and I go, all right, so I can push two onto an objective, move on, and I'm going to score my hand. And that's really tempting to do first activation. And sometimes I can't resist the temptation because actually there's a you know, there's a psychological impact on your opponent. But actually, if you hold off on doing that, and maybe you move on to the objectives, if they then mischievous spirits, you go, ah, I've still got a bunch of pushes, I'm getting back onto those objectives, I'm still scoring my supremacies. 
Uh, yeah, because I've seen people even play mischievous spirits in the power step to try and stop a um, temporary victory. Yeah, and when they do that, you just go, "Oh, thank you, that's brilliant." Um, I think I think that depends on the warband you're playing against. Yes, so I think, like obviously, I'd say if you play an aggro warband, you have more urgency to score those surges quickly because, especially if they're likely to kill your warband. Mm -hmm. But generally, aggro is rarely seen at the moment, so it's still weird when you see people who are like, for example. How do I put it? Uh, like curse breakers, the uh, gits, yeah, um, or thorns. Like that's probably a bit. Uh, or like yeah, some hold objective or ban. Curse breakers generally aren't going to come to you early, so you can actually spend your time moving on. Yeah, but I've seen people just do a first activation, move, 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 and then the curse breaker plays gone. Okay, great, moves in, pushes someone off, and then burns an objective. So you're you've been all trapped in your board hex, and you've scored those surges, but now your end face is bricked. Yeah. Um, but this is more like high level stuff. Um. We'll get on to later. I think the first things for hold objective play is like the basics. Um, and starting off with the basics for hold objective play, it's very deep because there's so much. Like you like I won't even get on to like warband choice yet. When you pick hold objective playstyle, you need to take there's a lot of risk. Like as we've already established, it's almost like you have to know when to play your stuff. It's all it comes down to timings because you're trying to out trick your opponent yeah. and second guess them at the, making them like outthink them, second guess them at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it really like the most important thing I'd say to begin with is how you place your feature tokens. Because if you place your objectives, even if you get free, if you place them in the wrong way, you can lose the game. Yeah. Um, it's like you have to, you have to like, especially if you gauge in your opponent, if you put objectives within threat range of your opponent, like, especially if you put two of them, where your opponent can easily reach, you now have to go, okay, now I definitely need push cards in my first hand because even though I'll get onto the ejector, they can still hit me and push me off or kill me. It's 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 a really difficult thing because that's why hold objective play is so hard in general. Um, yeah, it's... There's a thing there also about, you know, your board choice and your board setup. And I was saying to you last night when we were doing a little uh, test game, I was sort of... I miss the days where you just sort of roll the dice and then that decides who gets to choose who gets to place the first board. Because sometimes, yes. generally, I think the warbands that are best at hold objective are a little bit more fragile. So often I kind of want a turtle. So I might do the huge offset and just take two objectives and rely mm. on my deck. Yeah. But my deck, every single card is tooled up to get me onto an objective. So I think my, my Gits deck everything is either a push or a teleport. I maybe had great strength and an amber bone weapon, but everything else was about getting me towards those objectives. Because there's two things in that. And one is it actually shuts down your opponent's glory train a little bit. It, I'm assuming you're playing aggro. If you're playing into another hold objective warband, take the objectives every single time, put them as far yes. away from them as possible, make their yep. harder, let them rely on their card draw and their deck. But if you're playing to especially slow aggro, do a crazy big offset, stop them scoring any glory, you know, do what you can and rely on your deck to get you over there. Um, yeah, because a good thing about um, offsetting the boards, you have to build your deck as um, because you won't you won't always get free objectives, no. uh, and even giving your opponent free objectives, especially if the aggro is probably more beneficial to you than having all free. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the thing you have to look at from 
board placement uh, with fighters, uh, well, with objectors, because you need to construct your deck in such a way that you know you can reach those other three objectives, because generally your opponent will put them as out of reach, as far out of reach as possible. Oh, is this- so that's why it's so important with objective placement, because you need to think not just on cards, you need to think, how am I going to get those objectives I can't reach? Yeah. Because even with free objectives, you still want to reach all of them. You can't be happy with just free. I want to have, I want, generally speaking, I want to be on four in an end phase. Yes. Because no, I'd, I'd say the same. That's fine. Uh, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. I'm still on three of them. Um, I suppose now one of the distractions has been um, uh, restricted. restricted. Yeah. Maybe that's less of an issue, but I, th- I still think that's best practice is, you know, to mitigate and try and be on four. I yeah. think, oddly, a card like Bold Conquest, if I'm running Scaeths or Rippers or a sort of fast aggro warband, I'm dumping Bold Conquest in my deck. So if you do that big offset, they're probably going to give you an objective. You know, it's going to be near no man's land, but they're probably going to do that anyway. And yeah, just so it's reachable. I'm 100% certain that my deck will have more jank and more tricksy ways of getting that objective out from under them or getting onto it somehow mm. than they will of keeping it because they probably just want to score bold conquest they want to have extra dice they want to have extra damage and that makes sense because you're building an aggro deck yeah. um so i think there's a whole load of techie cards that we you know we can talk about and do that um so i do think you know your sort of turn zero stuff about board placement and about objective placement is super important and you know it comes through practice but my yeah this is something you can't just put down and hope like go i'll just get it first time yeah this is like the because it's the core fundamentals of hold objective play this will take you a long time to get right because it requires you not only to be like on point with what boards you choose and how you place your objectives but you need to also have a good knowledge of your opponent and their expected play styles and you need to be able to know how to work around stuff like aggro control warbands and even other hold objective warbands yeah and I, I think as a general rule and I'm, I'm assuming you win the board roll here if you're playing another warband you suspect to hold objectives take the objective just take the free objective far yeah. away from them. i think if you're playing slow aggro keep them away from you yes Probably because the one... thing about aggro at the moment is if they can't get you they can't score exactly exactly and i think you know effectively you can shut down their their first round or at least Mm. sort of reduce it a little bit hopefully you've got some cards in there maybe and if you're against control whatever that you, you score yeah. gives you a couple of glory um, um but it, and if you're against the control generally hold objective beats control so you should be able to outscore them um but like in the pyramid thing because aggro beats hold objective hold objective beats control control beats aggro yeah uh, which isn't kind of the way it's going in beast grave but that's the general of things i think um but after well go on i think most control war bands don't score high enough i think mourn flight maybe maybe i you know i sort of hate playing into mourn flight with most war bands, <laughs> but kind of used to enjoy it with my gits because i'd build enough mitigation in there so you know not every card in my deck is going to be about standing on objective i'd have yeah mad scurry in there so if you know if i've been longboarded or whatever i can just run around and score two glory and actually that's going to give me enough glory to get a faneway crystal or quickening greaves or dualist speed or whatever it is to give me that extra momentum to get onto them Mm. um 
so I do think you need that little bit. But I, I suppose all war bands run some passive glory in that way, don't they? Um, yes. Mournflight are particularly good at it. But I think if you get your glory train going with a, a good objective deck, you probably outscore them. You know, I've seen a lot of Mournflight decks start to run temporary victory. I'm not sure it's the best card for them. But like, oh, that's just because of me. Uh, it works for me, but it doesn't... Like, you have to... It, because it's four fives, you have to invest so much into it. I don't think people realise how much you have to invest. I think um, you wind up putting pushes for your fighters in so you can push yes. on to score your temporary victory. And actually, a warband that can pack... is it? Can they pack four distractions? Yes, they can. I wouldn't advise it, but you can. <laughs> if you can, like, that's kind of amazing at shutting your opponent down. I yeah. probably want more ways... If I'm running that warband, I probably want more ways to mess with my opponent than to move my own fighters. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but I'm not uh, but um, like, so. outside of those basics, I think, once, you, once you've got a firm grasp on boards and hold objectives, like placing your future tokens, like a good thing is... Um, it gets more on warband choices, but generally you always you always keep your objectives two hexes apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but for warbands, I would probably suggest um, Sepulchral Guard at Eyes of the Nine um, to getting started if you want to get onto hold objective play. And people may go, why? Because like, I think the biggest thing when you're playing with these warbands is you're not looking to win. You're looking to understand the play style. Um, and if you win with those warbands, that's amazing. But I think those two warbands offer the biggest um, fundamental learning steps for hold objective play. Because with Sepulchral Guard, you have the advantage of you can activate two to three fighters at once to move on to multiple objectives in a single activation. So it shows you how efficient you can be with Activision Economy. Yeah. But then on the flip side, your fighters are movement two slash movement three when inspired. So you really have to build the deck to be able to cross the other side and reach those other objectives. Because yeah. I think a massive problem during Shadespire and Night Vault was people would go... I don't play hold objectives because if I lose boards, I uh, uh, like I should win boards all the time, or like I should always win boards at least once. Yeah, um, I should always be able to have that advantage. But that's and I think a fundamental flaw in deck building, isn't it? If, yes. Yeah. If your deck only wins if you win, a, you know, basically a fifty-fifty roll at the start of the game, then you know maybe you need to change a couple of your cards up or something. I, I'm not sure I agree about eyes. I, I think if you're starting. And wanting to sort of run a bit more hold objective stuff, I would go ghosts, gits, or guard. <laughs> Three Gs, sweet. Uh, because of the built-in action economy they've got, you know. And then Varclav's been nerfed, but he still gets to push. Is it four, five fighters, two hexes? So five, yeah. In a single activation, you can score supremacy. You can, oh, sorry, temporary victory, be in place for your supremacy, whatever it is. You've got that. So when I'm talking about that timing thing, you can spend, maybe you do that first activation because you've got the objectives and it invites your opponent to you. And you're sort of going, come on then, get them out from under me. Or maybe you do it last activation to give them no time to respond. And then you spend three activations distracting them with, you know, your better fighters. Um, You can do very similar things with the guards. And obviously the same with the scurry mechanic on the gits. And I think that stuff is in a meta where you can, you know, with, with, you know, you could score in theory, swift capture, temporary victory and calculated risk in one activation with gits and guard in theory. Yeah, I think thorns <laughs> is a good shout. Um, you have to keep in mind that they are, they have been errated. 
the only reason I wouldn't say Gits is good if you're starting out, unless you're like a really experienced player, is Gits have so much action economy because you have rid Gits, they're the warband that take the most work and planning. So if you're a new player, I wouldn't recommend Gits. But I think Thorns is a good shout as well, just because they're easier and they give you like more of an understanding on action economy. But the reason I said Eyes is they're a weird warband. So they entirely depend on hold objectives to function. They're basically built around them. Um, um, but the thing that they're good at is they're really good at getting objectives in your opponent's side of the field. Yes. Um, and they sh- they learn- they teach you how to play a hold objective playstyle when you don't have those pushes or action economy. But they show you the power of being able to easily get to your opponent's side of the field. Because um, the good thing with the blue horror is once it dies, it just flips into the brimstone so it can't be driven back. Yeah. So especially when you do stuff like <clears throat> last activation, I summon the blue horror or like I summon the blue horror in my third activation and charge onto the objective in the last activation or summon him and then swap him. Yeah. Your opponent now goes, if unless I've got push cards, I can't actually get you off the objective. No. But the main thing is how you can... It's a deck where, yeah, you don't have the action economy to quickly get onto objectives, but you can reach any objective you want. Yeah, and they also have is it two infection teleports, plus you can pack a couple other teleports. Th- yeah, they have flickering step, which either teleports a friendly fighter onto a starting hex or an objective, yeah. or they have a free hex confusion, free range hex confusion. <clears throat> I think if I was running I, yeah, I, it's one of those, they're one of the decks where I'd probably go, well, chuck supremacy in in case I score it. Yeah. I'd probably be more inclined, I'd build it around like Path to Victory and Tactical Supremacies, yes. maybe Uncontested, and I'd look to build a deck that's about holding two objectives rather than three, because their fri- fighters are fragile. Because I, th- I think that's a good point, because a lot of people go, oh, if I'm playing hold objectives, I have to score all three. Um, but I think there's a hidden depth to go in. I'll just build around scoring two, because like my Mournflight, their hold objective will ban flex. Yeah. Like they're flex, but their hold objective element isn't about scoring three objectives. It's always about scoring holding one more objective than you are, yeah. which is generally I just need to hold two objectives. And I think people haven't realized how strong and actually viable that kind of playstyle is because people go, oh, yeah, it's fine you being on two objectives. I've stopped you being on three. And then you go, yeah, I've got I scored tactical supremacies, this and this and this and this. Yeah. And I've scored path to victory. And then they go, oh, oh, yeah. And I think, you know, if we maybe lean a, a little bit into some of those techie cards and you, you think about yeah. that deck with with eyes of the nine so say you're building around two objectives there's some you know you've got a few other cards i guess i'll, I'll talk about generally but maybe something like shard caller so i'm just yes. gonna dump you know navia or Turosh or you know whichever one it is i've chosen not to die this game on this objective at the back of the board and i'm going to give them that upgrade and then I'm going to put the objective I want under them at the start of the next phase. So I know when I draw into that card, I score it. So again, it's about sort of finding ways to mitigate and build. So you could have the, say your whole taking tax supremacy, one, two, one, four. I'm going to shard call a one under this dude. And then I'm going to put the blue horror on the one I want. And, yes. but that sort of stuff, I mean, it takes a little bit of, um, a little bit of forward planning. So you're then sitting, looking at your hand, going, right, I'm going to dump this card. I'm going to score that. So next activation, next round, I'll probably draw into that tactical supremacy. So I'll put one under there now. And then when you do draw into that, you're going, right, so what activation am I summoning? The blue horror? How am I getting him onto that objective? You don't want to put him on activation one because then your opponent has plenty of opportunity to 
get you off it and get themselves on or delete the objective yeah. or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I think there's a fun deck to be had there. Um, yeah, I think, but it's a, a, another core fundamental is planning out your turn. I know we've touched on it before. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like the way I learned about it was um, someone on the world, someone on the Facebook page, someone posted his, I think it was like Malaysian or something, right. posted about how his Thorns of the Briar Queen relic deck was unbeatable and how no one in his meta could beat it. Yeah. But the best thing I took away from that, um, apart from how to promote yourself, you know, like, oh man, ego. Awful, yeah. um, but it was more about the best thing he posted was like how he always plans. He always works towards scoring, keep them guessing. So keep them guessing as a forsaken card, which um, you basically need to do four different activations during a round to score it. Yeah. And I thought that's actually really good. So since then I've always been planning ahead and I think, well, it's because you don't have objectives like keep them guessing anymore. So it's it's difficult to do, but it helped me with hold objectives because it helps you plan out what you're going to do. Because I think hold objective play is the play style which requires you to have the most forward planning. So you really need to get good of, and not just going, I need to score these in my hand, but you need to go, I need to score these in my hand, but also set up for me scoring the rest of my deck. Yeah. And it's that's a really difficult thing to do as a new player, which is why... I can't stress this enough, even with these war bands and everything we've suggested, you really have to like the losses really help highlight what you need to learn from and what you do, because if you're winning, you just go, yeah, I did everything right. But when you lose or you're in those really tough situations, that's what forces you to remember and learn and ingrain those um, key points of the play style in your mind. Yeah. Um, so you may lose while listening to all of this and going, this is nonsense. I'm, I'm not doing anything like, but even for us, it took us a long time. Like it took me months to learn hold objective play during Nightbolt. Um, I lost a lot with eyes of the nine and gets, and like even Rob, even though like he's really good at it now as well. Like it took a long, like months of losses to get fine tuned because it's just not an easy thing to learn yeah i, don't know. I think that's the really important thing to stress i don't know if i'm really good at it i have days where i think i'm amazing and an absolute legend <laughs> and then other days where i go i don't know what i was thinking like yeah like the a big problem is you can also start tra- falling into the trap where you start second guessing yourself instead of your opponent and going oh they must be doing this yeah and then you don't play this card and either help them score a bunch of glory or actually you do stuff like push yourself off an objective because you go they're trying to score like coveted spoils and then all of a sudden you've gone, oh, I was going to score it, but now I've stopped. Yeah. Like they weren't even going to score it anyway. Yeah, both um, things have happened to me in the last week. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, it's the issue where it's kind of like very Zinchun where you just fall, you get lost in your own plans. Yeah. Um, but that that's the key thing to stress. It takes a lot of practice and that's why I think a lot of people don't really understand hold objective play still because it just takes so much thought and... I'm not saying these people haven't put much, enough time in, but I think you get really discouraged when you go, there's no point playing because there's too much counterplay and I don't want to really invest because other play styles are more forgiving. And that's perfectly fine. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree to a point, I think. But say you're running an aggro list, you're probably yeah. running a bunch of surges. Well, everyone's running six, right? Who doesn't build a deck yeah. with six surges? Um, you're probably running some glory multipliers for the end phase. Another card you're likely to pack is keep chopping because, you know, that makes sense in an aggro deck. Mm. So you're always thinking about keep chopping and you're going, right, so I I know I have to attack four times this round. I've got three surges in hand. I haven't got keep chopping, but I know I have to attack three times this round in case I draw keep chopping. And actually, if you're... So if you've built a deck with, say, dug in and supremacy in it, 
even if you haven't got those cards in hand, you need, need, need to be on three objectives in the end phase. Because yes. you then, or you want to be as on many objectives as possible. Yeah, because, but if you then draw into Duggan and you... Yeah, you set up Duggan, yeah. You go, ah, oh, kind of messed up. So there is that, I guess it's knowledge of your deck and that little bit of forward planning. But also, like, it is, a, I suppose, the the fairly simple game plan of I want to stand on as many of these things as possible. Yes. <laughs> if you think about um, that, it's not super complicated. Obviously, no. you know, there is jank to be had and and stuff like that. Um, but I think a good um, a good thing to touch on next is cards. Yeah. Um, so I'll preface this, but like I always aim my content to be future-proofed. So no matter when you watch it or listen to it or read it, it will always be relevant. Um, so the issue with cards is we're approaching the end of Beast Grave, whenever that may be. So the Night Vault cards are going to be rotated out. Yep. Um, so we'll still mention them, but we'll highlight them because um, they're basically only playable for a short more, a short time. Yeah. Um, like you still have Relic play, but no one plays Relic. No. Let's be honest. No, no one wants to. Uh, Relic, if you, if you think the main game is not great to play, uh, which is fine, it's better now. Um, Relic is the, is the, <laughs> the, the chaos a dark place no one goes to relic land uh, um but yeah it's like um some a good thing to bring up is the lead not the leader pack oh my gosh the gift pack brought in back a lot of hold objective cards from shade spire so those will be in rotation well those will be in play from beast grave to season four oh, yeah of course they will. um that's gonna be so like two objective eyes of the nine viable for a whole exactly year. Because um, at the moment, what's really good for hold objective play are, I'd say, shifting reflection, and Fainway Crystal and Shadow Step. Because Shadow Step, you may go, oh, it just puts me in the middle of no man's land, like in the middle of well, it puts me in no man's land. But if you've placed an objective, get there, you can now teleport onto it. But if someone's placed one objective near there, you can then teleport and push. Yeah. Um, but the reason those cards are so important is because they bridge the gap. Like shifting reflection is probably one of the best hold objective cards i'd say at the moment because it uh, so what it does it chooses a friendly fighter and an enemy fighter holding objectives and you um, choose them and you switch places um and that is huge for scoring cards like swift capture which i'll get into later but it's if you're trying to get to objectives on the other side of the board though that card is essential for hold objective play but the issue is it's going to cycle out whenever season four drops i mean it it just puts you in the opponent's half your timing of it has to be on point, yeah. Yeah, because you either have to do it going into your activation or after your opponent's final activation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the dream little combo of shifting reflection and confusion. So you then get, yes. you bring them over and then you get that from your side as well. So I, I just wrote a little list here of sort of, I don't think I've built a, a deck without confusion in for a very long time. Yeah, I would say the core card to build around an objective deck is Confusion because Confusion is insanely strong yeah. because it allows you to choose two fighters and they switch places. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to do stuff like move up to someone and then switch them because if they push you off, yeah, they've pushed you off, but the more important thing is you've kept them off that objective. And if they have no push cards, they can't get you off. Yeah, so I think, uh, was it the last Grand Clash or maybe the one before? I wound up playing two of my sort of teammates and regular competitors, Pete and Jack. Yeah. And on both cases, oh, I still want to cry about it now. The game came down to who top-decked Confusion. And it was, um, I think, in my game against Jack, maybe an eight-glory swing. 
and in my game against Pete, a similar amount because suddenly, you know, he got a, a dug in and a supremacy or whatever it is, and I did the. Mm. Um, so if you're in that objective matchup, it's just a, it just puts you there. It's brilliant. Um, so I think that's there. I, I wrote on my list like a fistful of pushes. So just every yeah, as many pushes you can take. Uh, the moment you've got sidestep, which is gonna last. Um, you've got two steps forward, which will likely well, we'll, we'll cycle out with Nightbolt, and that's choose two friendly fighters, and you must so you have to have two push them one hex, and then your opponent can choose up to one of their fighters and yeah. push them. Uh, but the thing is so strong is like if you're trying to score temporary victory, which is a card as we mentioned before, hold three objectives for two glory immediately. Um, you can play that and then move on and fight objective and score that yeah. in one activation effectively. And I think so, Beast Men. Uh, Grimwatch, Hrothgorn, maybe Wild Hunt, all have cards that allow you to basically push two fighters. So I definitely take anything like that that allows multiple mm-hmm. pushes. Definitely, yep. definitely take. They can brick. You know, I think two steps forward. If you haven't got two surviving fighters, <laughs> you're, you're knackered. But at that point, you've probably or your opponent has mirror move. But that's something we'll get into. Yeah. So that, that's what I was about to say. Is my uh, do I really want to give away my dirty little tricks? Um, so I love Mirror Move. I think I pack that instead of Mischievous Spirits. Yeah. Um, because 100%. if your opponent pushes onto an objective, you just push another one of his fighters off. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's great uh, against Snark where he pushes three. And I, <laughs> I did one the other day where I just dumped Zarbag in and out of a lethal hex till he was dead because he pushed Snark through. <laughs> Um, but my- or you can even use it to interrupt Snoke for like put Snoke pushes him two hexes, you interrupt at mid chain and push him two hexes. Yeah, it shuts him right. down, yeah. Um but I think he'd had a really bad role, you know, the classic Snoke of being adjacent to me and rolling three double supports and pinging across the board. Oh, and yeah. Ah, Snoke things. Um but where I, I mirror move is also good for stopping quickening griefs. Um Yeah, so quickening griefs is probably the best upgrade related to hold objective play because the way it works it's an out of sequence push yeah. so either at the end of the round or the start of the round or before the start of the round you choose that fighter and push them one you can't use both effects but it's so good because it's an out of sequence push that yeah and i've used it so many times when my opponents like burned all their push cards and then i go okay quickening greaves and they just go oh. uh, yeah at which point they can do nothing about it unless they've got mirror move because mirror move is it's more the thing about mirror move is its reaction so you can play at any time an opponent pushes a fighter and then you choose a different fighter so you go well they've got the fighter with quickening grooves onto the objective and you go yes but they get that fighter on and then you mirror move one of their fighters off so if they were setting up for a supremacy they've now lost that yeah it's it's mirror move is i think it's it's a very situational card but it's just, when it's played at the right time, it's devastating. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people are running snare at the moment, so they're often, you know, and who doesn't drive back if they, you know, hit an attack but don't kill someone? So you've always got it's all like, in my opinion, it's always useful. I like it for shutting down quickening grooves, but my favorite, and this is what I was going to say, dirty trick is when you play two steps forwards and then, go, yes. and now you can push a fighter one hex, and they push a fighter one hex, and you mirror move one of yours onto an objective. And then yeah, if people have watched my stream and shower TV, off. Oh yeah, if people have watched my streams of Underworlds on twitch.tv forward slash can you roll a crit? Um and you go like, Oh, your opponent's played two steps forwards, John. Why haven't you pushed someone? Uh mirror move is the reason why I haven't pushed anyone. Even if my opponent doesn't have it, 
generally because like the trap you go is like i'll just push one of my fights for the sake of it and then they go yes <laughs> and then they, put another, they turn mirror move i mean they turn two steps forward into a two push fight a card into a free push yeah. card yeah um so that's the thing you always have to be aware of but that's why mirror move is so good but yeah, unfortunately that's likely to cycle be, out yeah i think most of my decks are going to be terrible come uh <laughs> doom ruin or whatever we're calling it <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so i like you know any, any sort of pushes i can get my hands on irresistible prize is obviously yeah it's, that's a really good one so that's know, choose um an objective hex and everyone within two hexes pushes one hex towards it so you can use like as a um, really telegraphed sidestep um yeah then I think that's, can, well, unless you get into faction cards, I think that's pretty much it for universal push cards. Um, so what I was going to say with irresistible, sorry, I'm just giving away all my combos. Irresistible prize, you can also use as a distraction. So yes. If you are, if they aren't engaging with you and you need to get over to their side of the board, you can irresistible prize them on, then shifting reflection over, which is you know another nice. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, I remember you doing that to me. Very annoying. <laughs> um, then. So I think they're mostly the other one's center of attention. I probably wouldn't run that. I think that's better for sort of disruption and forget. I think it's more of an aggro card now, which is fine. Yeah. Um, so then there's a couple other cards. So I don't think I'd leave home without Duelist Speed. Um, if yes, Duelist Speed is really good because um, the way it works is after an attack action, you push that fighter one hex. So the greatest thing is it scores with a lot of cards now since the latest designer's commentary, but you can charge someone, hit them, and either kill them or drive them off of the objective, then push yourself onto it, yeah. and then score objectives. So it's like if you look at it as a free one hex push, so that's plus one move, but more importantly, you could like get you can shuffle around the board and get onto objectives without actually investing in more movement. Yeah, and it's so when you do that big offset and they dump an objective in no man's land for their leader to score bold conquest that's the card you need to get that objective off of them well not the only one but it's a you know i don't care if i hit them I don't, sorry i don't care if i wound them or kill them or whatever i just want to push them off the objective so i can get on it yeah. um the other one that does a similar thing of course is blessing hydragos or hydragos which allows you to push two but after a successful attack now, again, a lot of these Swarm Warbands are inherently less accurate, and you're probably not putting that much accuracy in your decks. So yes. There's less chance of it going off. But I think it's great in a Thundrix Profiteer Hold Objective deck. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I've won a few trophies with Thundrix Hold Objectives. <laughs> it's mine. Nice segue there, Rob. Yeah, no. Learning from the master. <laughs> uh, um, but I think for I think we've covered all the Night Vault cards apart from objectives. Uh, but objectives we'll get into after like mm -hmm. power cards. Because so I think power cards are the essential part, um, which is going a bit against my deck building advice. Um, but then for Night Vault cards, you've got Restless Prize, which is now restricted. So choose an objective hex and push it two hexes, up to two hexes. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like the big daddy of hold objective cards because it's only counted by itself unless you are Grimwatch, um, or if you have a faction card that lets you push someone two hexes. Yeah, or you That's have, the only way to counter. Or them. you have a bunch of cards. It, it, yes. It's much, much harder to counter. And that's where I think, you know, mis Mischievous Spirits and that are kind of equal to me. 
Yeah, I mean, mischievous spirit's weird. You can use it to get onto objectives, but it's more of a such a random thing. The trade-off is you can set yourself up for objectives, but your opponent could just go, okay, you've got those two. I'm just going to put these ones further away, yeah. which can just accentuate your issues of trying to get onto objectives. Yeah. But at least with Restless Prize, it's so useful because it just helps you set up so many plays. Yeah, and it, you know, if, if you have done an offset, for example, and they've stuck all their objectives far away from you, Bringing them two hexes closer. Two hexes is, you know, it's a long way. Um, yes. So it makes a, a big difference. And you just probably send in someone with a, a, a am I allowed to swear? A crappy ranged attack. And um, that's good, good choice of words. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I nearly went much worse there. But you send someone in with a rubbish ranged attack and dualist speed. And again, you don't care if that attack hits, it's getting you that extra hex onto the objective. Yeah. stuff like that so uh, i don't think there's any more beast grave hold objective gamp power there's um not yet anyway Whoa. there is the scatter push three desperate flight but i think that's more of an aggro card because it's the um, it's like snurk well a version of snurk you roll five dice and then push your fighter three hexes yeah. in the chain i um I, but the issue is because you have to push you like so with because you can interrupt the chain by pushing yourself into like an edge hex or block hex. It's an it's like a fringe card. It's more of an aggro card. But if you are really good with pushing, it's good for hold objectives. I think if you've if you know that's in your deck, and I, you know I don't run it. I don't like the randomness of it. I've seen yeah. <laughs> bless Pete run it, and both times I've played against him when he's been running it, he's wound up in the same hex he started. Um, I've seen Smee run it consistently and always wind up where he wants to be, and I don't know if that's through luck or skill. Uh, it's, it's cheating. It's always, yeah, yeah, always cheating. Let's go with cheating because I don't want to give him a big head and tell him it's skill. Um, His head is big enough. But I expect, you know, maybe if you knew that was in your deck, you might put an objective token next to a block tax, and yeah. then you just, uh, uh, which ties into more how you place block everything. Text, you know, um, I, yeah, there's not been as many pushes in beast grave i suppose that they've come in faction haven't they yeah and i think another card which is brought back in rotation because of the gift pack is misdirection which i think is a card which will become more popular um because misdirection is what choose a friendly fighter chosen by uh, enemies gambit you can choose another applicable fighter instead so basically because a lot of people are running distraction all of a sudden you go, right. yeah i'm going to choose your fighter to push instead and they just go oh uh, but that's like the issue with that card. It's entirely dependent on your opponent. It's pretty situational. Yeah. Uh, but going into objectives, uh, the safe ones to bet are supremacy because it's always going to be in the game, which is hold free objectives for free blocks. Have supremacy in there. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have it unless you like fixated on that hold two objective. But even then, I would always run supremacy because it's um, it's more like if you score it, you can just go great. If you don't, oh well. Like uh, the great thing, as we said, with hold objective decks is the redundancy that you don't need to score everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what other night vault? So the the night vault objectives that will cycle out are tactical supremacy two and f- no one and five and two and four, which are the best tactical supremacies because everyone forgets them. Uh, um, you need you need to, you need to run two tactical supremacies if you're running them, and two of them need to have a common number. Yes. So um, it's not. You've, so you've got was it uh one and two and three and four um so basically we'd either go one and two and one and four yeah. or two uh three and four and one and four uh i love one and five because everyone forgets about objective five 
Uh, it's the, I don't know. I think this is just a carryover from Shadespire, but everyone just leaves Objective 5 alone. They go, oh, you're on Objective 5, don't care. Mm-hmm. And then you go, Tactical Supremacy 1 to 5. Um, but that, that's that's the thing. And then um, what else? I think because the, the one card I really miss is Our Only Way Out, which is hold three objectives yeah. with two glory. Yeah. I really miss that card. So it's interesting. Uh, when you were sort of talking about um, war bands we picked, and, you know, I made the little flex of my, my Thundrix deck. And I think now that deck is much more legit than it was back in Night Vault. Yes. And basically, you got a bunch of stumpy, can't move very far dwarfs. Um, but they have an infaction or any way out. So in theory, if you have the dream end phase, you can get supremacy dug in and uh, what's it called? Claim the, is it Claim the City? Something like that. I know what you're talking about, yeah. So, uh, it's like because Eyes of Nine have the same objective as yeah. well. Um, so if a warband has that, that's amazing. But when you then double it with the fact they've got a card that allows you to move two fighters. Even if they've already charged or moved already, already it's moved. amazing. And you dump your deck full of pushes. So the way I built the deck was just to do that, and then I put in every single wound upgrade. Everything. Because then they become so annoying to kill. Activation four of round one, I tried to be on as many objectives as possible. I mm. scored whatever I could from that, and then I just stood there and gun turreted. That I didn't, you know, I'd play games where once I was on them, I wouldn't move the fighters. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, I, I left the sort of normal Thundrix surges in there because, you know, they're good. But that sort of thing of, oh, I've now drawn uh, what armor, so I'll charge with this guy. I've now scored what armor, and in the end phase, I've scored opening gambit. Brilliant. I'm a legend. I just got, that just wasn't interesting for me. But actually, you know, how do I jank my way into these objectives and then just stand there and I'll just cleave my way through you? And suddenly I've got, you know, maybe you kill two of them, and that's fine because I've then got three six wound dwarves standing on objectives with glory pouring out of them. Mm. beautiful and also people would do the big offset and give you three objectives with the offset i'd be oh. because yeah they want to keep you out of range and just go yeah. it's a free win there is uh, the happy days but i think that deck now is much better than it was then um yeah so um but i think other objective cards because that, that's it for there's nothing in night vault i think apart from the tactical supremacies um yeah then for beast grave you've got uh, for Beast Grave, you've got Swift Capture, which I think is one of the best yeah. objectives, like just balance wise. Yeah. So it's Surge, uh, score immediately if you hold one objective in your territory and an opponent's territory. Yeah. So it really combines well with Swift, uh, not Swift Capture, Shifting Reflection, and even Restless Prize helps with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, and Fainway Crystal, um, because, oh yeah, Fainway Crystal is give that fighter this card, their next move action has to use it, and then they move on to an objective. Yeah. So you can use that to teleport around the board. Um, but Swift Capture is so good because it's like even when you play it, if your opponent, if you have to play it early, your opponent can just miss and still score you it. Yeah. Then unfortunately, we have to talk about temporary victory. I know like people hate it, but I think it's um, a necessary thing. It probably should have been hold four objectives or just one glory, but it's it's still really good because it enables like I think Thundrix couldn't really play hold objectives without it, or even Zarbags gets at the moment. What, what, sorry, Thundrix couldn't play hold objectives without it. I don't think they could do it reliably in this meta because of how fast Beast Grave is. Because um, in Night Vault, I think they were f- it was they had an easier time going about it, but with Beast Grave, with so much more disruption and speed, yeah. 
it's more difficult. I think Thundrix can still run six good surges. Uh, but if you're aiming to be on three objectives, then I might as well have that. You know, and if I get yeah. into it, brilliant. I think Gits, it's it's an abs. It's, you score two glory without giving your opponent the chance to respond, which is it's a bit broken, but it's also brilliant for the warband. Same with ghosts, right? Because mm. you can do it in your activation. I agree. If it was one glory, I think it would feel more balanced. Or if it was at the end of your opponent's next activation, because then. It- yeah. the right to respond that's where i really yeah, the like right. the design space of swift capture because someone pushes onto an objective in their half or in you know puts fameway crystal or whatever there's a little moment there where you go oh, okay i see what's coming can i stop yeah, i can stop that yeah um, um that's where you know but equally i love temporary victory because it's so good <laughs> for objective uh yeah the other card i think i wouldn't leave home without is path to victory yeah, Path to Victory is an essential one because that can go in aggro decks as well. So that's the thing is you don't need to actively take an enemy fire out of action. They just have to have been taken out of action. So even if your opponent kills themselves or you push them into a lethal hex yeah. because they've had a fighter go out of action that round, you will now score Path to Victory. And you only need to hold two objectives for it. Yeah, you only need two. So if you've got that and your supremacy in hand, you can I'm I'm definitely getting that one. I'm hoping to get the other one provided he doesn't push me off or you know, out tech me or whatever it is. And I do think, you know, as much as I'm talking about pushes and, and tricks to get into the right place on the board and thinking about board state, uh, you do need to be in your opponent's face. If you're not taking your opponent off the boards or at least hurting them in some way, it's eventually, you know, your glory train is going to stop because you're all going to be dead. So, yes, you, you know, you kind of need to at least hit or charge things. And again, it's a sort of distractionary thing. You know, I'm going to steam this big fighter in and you sort of have to deal with him. Yeah, because a good thing I'd touch on is like generally I'd filled uh, my hold objective upgrade deck with aggro stuff because generally you have a surplus of glory and you want to, you could maximize that on durability, but I think you get more of that on maximizing it for aggro. Um, but that's something we'll get onto later. Yeah. Um, then you've got. Um, Coveted Spoils, which is, I think, probably one of the... It's the more difficult ones to score consistently, but it's really good. So it's free glory for if all objectives are held. And the key thing is they're held. You don't have to hold them. Your opponent could be holding all of them and you could still score it. But um, And it doesn't care about how many objectives need to be held. So if, if you can remove two or three objectives, you only need to hold two or three objectives to score free glory. So I think you're then on to a, a sort of... I think there's three big cards, isn't there, in in uh beast grave which we haven't had before which are dug in coveted spoils and uncontested and yes I think- so dug in is uh supremacy but you need to be holding three objectives for two rounds yeah. uh a, a cheeky way you can score this in one round is um quickening greaves to push at the start of round two onto an objective if you're only on two and then end the activation uh end the uh the round. action phase on three and now you score dug in in one activation um and then you have uncontested which is score free glory if you hold two or more objectives and your opponent controls yeah. one objectives and i think those three cards are where i'm presented with uh, i could say choice or i could say massive indecision um, mm. a part of it depends i guess on your meta and who you're playing against um i would never run all three i think that's probably a bit greedy but i know some people that have quite a lot of success running all three because they'll go i'll score one of them and they all score big. And you go, oh, yeah, 
kind of yeah i'm a, i usually run in my hold objective decks uh dug in and covered to spoils because i find those are the easiest Ooh. to score i think it depends if you're you know like i played in that um dutch tournament a couple of weeks ago and there was a lot more sort of aggro war bands than there have been and i think that's probably normally the yeah. far list yeah so i think we're going to see more aggro at which point i think coveted spoils gets worse i think if you know yeah. you're playing a lot of other hold objective war bands then coveted spoils you must take it they can score it for you if you completely mess up and they're on all the objectives you still get three glory and that's that's good um equally i've got myself in a state where i convinced myself an opponent had coveted spoils so i sidestepped off an objective and they had uncontested and that was you know quite nice but that falls into like yeah trapping well second guessing yourself too much yeah uh and then apart from like so um the gift pack brought back some tactical supremacies namely one and two and three and four i i would never run one to three and three to five just because holding three of a specific number is too situational and like just too difficult um but then if we go into upgrades, we've covered Quickening Greaves. That's just an essential thing. Uh, Fainway Crystal, because it allows you to teleport yeah. uh, onto objectives. Uh, Duelist Speed. Uh, and then I think for B-Scrape, the actual really important ones um, is Survival Instincts and Grim Tenacity, because the important thing is, oh, you've got Stone Form as well. So Stone Form is really good. It's minus one move, but you can't be pushed. Mm -hmm. So that just stops you, but then you have to have the, you have to remember you can't push yourself. And the good thing about Grim Tenacity and Survival Instincts is they stop you from being driven back, which is a much more important. And they, because if people are relying on their aggro to push you off, they now have to invest in cards to get you off objectives. I think it it depends on the fighter. If it's a sort of little two wound guy, yeah, probably. Yeah, if you've got if you've got weak stuff, there's no point. But if you're like running like Mournflight or yeah. Um, even fawns, I would say, because you know you've got the ever hanged, and you can use the queen yeah. to get onto objectives. Those those kind of cards to stop you being pushed helps a lot. When also, um, as much as anything, it's about um, making the tar the target unappealing. So you see yes. people running those Skaven decks with Expendable and um, Crown of Avarice. Yeah, Crown of Avarice is a good shout. It'll be cycled out soon, but because uh, Crown of Avarice, if, if your opponent has any unspent glory before they take you out of action you can st you can steal one so not only do you get basically one glory for them killing you but you kind of go yeah you can kill me but it's going to be a one one glory change yeah. so uh that's something to keep in mind as well a, a lot of the time you don't care about that glory no what you're trying to do is i suppose that's where the power is you're trying to dictate target priority for your opponent Yes, you're trying to make your opponent go, who do you kill? So, you know, the way I, I think I did it in that when we were playing, um, I think I was playing into your Grimwatch, where I first activation, I steamed Drizgit into an objective on your half. And it's mm -hmm. like, you can kill him, and that's absolutely fine, because then you inspire these squigs and they become amazing. Or you can leave him alone, in which case he's standing on a, an objective in your territory. And it forces a negative... Um, what's the word like just a negative choice from your opponent and that's what crown of avarice does that's what expendable does to an extent i think that's what stone form and survival instincts and all those cards do as well is they make the target unappealing so you're going yeah i know i haven't got swift capture in hand i've only got two objectives on my side of the board at some point i might i'm going to draw into temporary victory and supremacy and swift capture so i need that objective so i'm just going to pile all this stuff on that player 
and hope they don't attack him and you know and hope if they do then all the stuff i've piled on them helps me survive uh, yeah um but i think that the only other thing we can touch upon are the keys so you've got um the formless key hold any objective in the third end phase for one glory and then hold objectives well keys one to five for one objective yeah. and they get two glory each so you can invest in those i find the issue is they're too slow and like they're really difficult to score because you have to bring more to make the redundancy of not getting the objective you want. Um, you've also got shifting reflection, which is uh, something we should have. Shifting um, reflection? Do you mean crit? Uh, that's the one way you switch to as an objective, as upgrade, sorry. Um, shard call. But it's a shard call. Yeah, 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 you can. I mentioned that. But it, that, that makes you very static. Yeah. Um, but the issue with the keys, you've got, it's just, and you've got Tome of Glory. So if you're on an objective, uh, give yourself a charge token to get one glory, which is like always take that. Uh, and also, um, what do you call it? Uh, Cryptic Companion, which is at the end of the action phase, give yourself one glory if you're on an objective and you become a quarry. Uh, it's restricted. I think it's still too good. Like Personally, I would fix it by making it happen at the start of the round so it becomes a max two glory card, and then you wouldn't need to restrict I, it. But I don't know. It's, it's so draw dependent, isn't it? Yeah. But I think because it yeah. because it works at the end of the round, you've always guaranteed basically one from it. Well, if, um, if you've got it in hand and you've got a glory and you've put it on your yeah. as an objective. But but if you're like trying to get it for at least the last end phase, it's usually like the last turn in a in a game like round three. I, I still think that's quite doable. It, it's a good card. I'm not sure I'd take it over some restricted objectives. Yeah, that's the ballot. But if you can, I'd highly recommend it. I think um, I've skimmed over the keys a little bit there, and I suppose I want to give a, a shout-out to Jack, who I play a lot, and I think he's written some mm. articles for you as well in the past. Yes. And he did... Uh, so we've just finished our sort of lockdown league, and one of his mm. war bands was the Skaven. And he built like a really creative and quite brutal deck yeah yeah oh yeah that's really good he made full use of the sort of resurrect mechanic and the keys and stuff like this mischievous spirits restless prize all that jank so he would put the objectives over starting hexes and then the final power step of the game he brings a fighter back onto the objective he wants them to be onto and piles keys and cryptic companion and god knows what on them i saw him having one game i think he scored something ridiculous like 13 or 14 in that last power step um a lot of it just came from upgrades and keys and stuff like that rather than from end game objective so i think those things are good you know maybe if you're running eyes of the nine keys isn't a yeah. idea because you could put them on the blue horror and again he's really irritating to get rid of um so i think it, i think it's best to make a choice about those yeah, you kind of, if you've got keys, you have to build around them. Uh, that's why they're like, I don't generally recommend them because they usually are quite integral. But if you've got running like stuff like the tactical supremacies, you've probably built your deck around that in general. Yeah. Um, but I do think a good thing to touch upon, like what I did with Eyes of Nine, which I stole from David to me, was putting objectives onto starting hexes because I could resurrect fighters onto starting hexes. So then you resurrect someone directly onto an objective. Yeah, and you um, put a key on them and that's... Two glory, two, you know, Quid that's it. better than a lot of end phase cards at the moment. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's it for cards. And I think the best war bands. So let's say you've you followed our guide. You've you like you've you've got a good hang of hold objectives. You've built a solid deck. Um, if you are now 
dead set on it. I think the best war bands to play at the moment would still be Thorns of the Briar Queen, just because they're still really good. Um, Zarbag's Gits, but they are like super high skill because you have to be so efficient with your scurries, your action economies. You need to know when to do what, and there's so much to keep track of. Yeah. But if you're really good with them, you can maximize how good hold objective players. Yeah, I'm not sure there's been a better time to play Gits than at the moment. I think they're really powerful. Um, Because you're seeing them starting to become popular now, but it's like, it's funny because we're seeing stuff that people are going, oh, Gits are amazing, but we've been doing for months i'd say like nearly a year at this point oh, I, was, um, I was grinding with them for too long <laughs> yeah so it's like it, it's great to see them get that limelight because they just it does the issue is it just takes a lot to put in um then you've got i, I still think Mournflight are really good hold objectives but they're i would describe them as the two objective warband i think um, good at, at that sort of thing i was saying about objective grabbing i don't know that yes. necessarily want to hold with them yeah, you just, they're amazing at capturing objectives. Holding, not so much, but it's more they can capture them, like capitalize off of that and then stop the opponent scoring. So they're like more like an action phase grabbing one. Yeah. Um, then you've got the Grimwatch. They're still really good because they're still too good um, because they've got their own faction temporary victory because you always run temporary victory in the name of the king and then another easy surge. And then they've got um, their, um, be on the round number one as well. One. Yeah. Not one will, that's the more fun. Oh, the, um, Shifting Madness, but that's Madness. restricted. I wouldn't run free sh- restricted objectives because, um, uh, but then you've also got who else? Uh, I think Grashraxter spoilers are really good, but they're more aggro flex hold objectives instead of just pure hold objectives. But because they've got their own faction, uh, temporary victory, which is the spoilers, yeah, but they're really good because they've got um, a card that lets you push two friendly hunters up to two hexes. Yeah. Which can basically counter restless prize. Yeah. Um, they're just like really good. Um, you can even do an interesting worm spat hold objective deck, but you lose the moment one of them dies. Um because you can run supremacy, sacred trilog, which is their faction supremacy. But uh, yeah, I'm always dubious about it in three fighter warbands. You know, you could do it with fast riders, but would you? <laughs> just because you can do something doesn't mean it's a good idea. Um, although I suppose uh, Nurgle have also got their infaction survive an attack when you're standing on an objective card. You yeah. have got ways to reward it. Um, you've got cards like that in general, but the issue is why I don't recommend them is because they're entirely dependent on your opponent attacking you to score those objectives. Yeah, but I think if you've... if Well, I'm assuming you're playing a best of three, and if you've scored a supremacy or whatever, then you're standing on an objective... If your opponent's got any sense, they're going to come and attack you. So, yeah, uh, but that's like generally, I I usually advise against objectives that require your opponent to score them for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are there any other warband? You, know, you could play Eyes of the Nine. Eyes of the Nine are still good. You just have to remember they explode, um, as in like they explode to a stiff breeze. Um, so if you've been still playing them, more power to you. Just remember, unfortunately, there are more efficient ways to play, but they're. I think, yeah, the best Warband to play are still Thorns, Zarbags, Gits, and Grimwatch, and Spoilers for Hold Objective. Even, even um, the Mournflight, but they're, they're, more, they're more of a fringe Hold Objective. They do Hold Objectives completely differently. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not sold on Mournflight, but I'd give honourable mentions to Thundrix because... Oh, yeah, Thundrix, yeah, the, because they really excel in general because 
especially if they've got free objectives, what they always do is set up this net. I call it a spider's web because they want to draw you in. So you generally tag one of their fighters, but then they shoot everyone else because now you've come to them and they farm you for objectives, um, which is accentuated more because especially when you get free objectives, you go, I've got free objectives. Now, if you don't come to me, I'm going to score this glory. I think now that we've seen a few more um, glory multipliers restricted, I genuinely believe that's the best way to play them. Yes, because now they can't just like tap you and for two objectives and score all this ridiculous glory. Well, they um, just not, then don't get the glory multiplier. And the, yeah. the other one, I, you know, some of these have, I guess, a higher sort of skill ceiling is Skaven, I think. Yeah, running. Spike Claw Swarm are a great one because the issue is you have to remember they have, they're basically universal card dependent. So, one dependent, if more universal cards get hit, the worse they get. Um, but they don't have any infection pushes, but they have the ability to teleport anywhere by resurrecting. Yeah. Um, They also have five movement. So, you know, you choose what objective you want to be on and then you go and stand on that objective. Because even if you can't get onto the objective, you'll be able to touch and threaten it. So your opponent can go, oh, I'm no longer safe on this objective. And I think, so I think that sort of idea of sort of grabbing them and holding two at a time rather than necessarily three really works for them plus yes you know you can pack some nice weapon upgrades and offer a really big threat you know there's not really a point you know where on the board are you safe from scritch if he wants to get you he probably will you know i know you love skaven but you don't i don't don't know have you ever run them that way or if you always run them aggro oh i used to it's just um i've kind of tapped out with spike claw swarm i've done everything with them as i've said it's just like I do playing them in Underworlds Online just because I got like nostalgia. <laughs> um, I played them for like nine months. Oh, right. So, um, and over the course of that, they won me like nine, no, 13 trophies and then like two Grand Clash trophies. Oh. Um, so <laughs> just kind of like, I mean, I love playing them, but it's just the great thing you have to remember with Spike Claw Swarm, as you said, is the movement five. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I just, uh, it's not I don't enjoy playing them. I've just done everything with them it's and it never fails to surprise me i'll sort of be there you know sitting there ready going okay this is, how far did you move why are you there well yes. what's happened and if you know yeah. well if you notice that's why no one starts with movement five basically yeah uh, insane um yes so i do think i'd give a little um a little honorable mention to them yeah and i think that's the good thing to touch is there are a lot of ways to play hold objectives i mean you've still got sepulchral guard the only issue is because their movement too and their inspire mechanic isn't great. So you're generally like Thorns of the Bride Queen and Gits do what they do, but much better. Because yeah. um, the main thing they struggle with is trying to get across the board. Yeah. It's a funny one. We play with um, Sam Scott, who's sort of consistently at the top of the BCP ratings for uh, his sepulchral guards and I think has won best in faction at you know, numerous grand clashes with them and stuff. So... In my head, and I think in the head of quite a few of the Reading players, Sepulchral Guard are just a really good war band. Because every- oh, yeah, they're really good. But I think they struggle if they just um, try to set on hold objectives. Like, where you would have to go, go like more flex with them, like aggro hold objectives or something. See, that's that's what I thought. And um, I'm not great with guards. And then you play Sam and you go, yeah, I don't know why this is so difficult. I don't understand. I don't know what he's doing. He's just amazing with them. So, um you know, you have to get the um, game sometimes, John. Yeah, I will. Uh, but I think we've touched on all the warbands. I don't think there's a... Uh, someone people are saying, like, Chosen Axes? Uh, I would advise, if you're looking for fun, 
don't play the chosen exits. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can like the de- I'll, I'll post the deck I like got success with, but the issue is you have to keep in mind that deck is like you will always lose a game. You will never go two zero unless you're playing someone who has no idea what they're doing, um, and it, because they they just they're just slow. They have a great amount of pushes, but it's like if you thought Sepulchral Guard were hard, I'd say Chosen Axes are worse. Yeah, although when you get them going, they're good. It's just because just entirely dependent on the first round. If you don't inspire everyone, all of a sudden you go, "Well, I'm all movement too, and I can't get anywhere. So, and I've got no glory. Yeah. So, it's gonna be fun. You know, you, if you're if you are running chosen axes, you probably chuck supremacy and path to victory in there anyway, because yeah. at some point you want to stand on the objectives. If you throw enough stuff, oh. eventually one's gonna stick. Yeah. You know, you just like, one of these will work. Yeah. Um, oh, did they have other extended? Oh no, it's it something like that. Uh, but I think those are all the warbands. Uh, I think. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to hold objective play? Uh, I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, my my two big notes at the bottom of my page here say a fistful of pushes and practice in capital letters. Yes, and I, I think we can't stress on the practice enough because, like, as we said before, it took us months to get good at. It. Like, I you could argue I was being a bit sneaky, but I basically spent most of night bolt practicing hold objective play right. and then i perfected it by the time of this end of night Vault with uh, my thorns of the bride queen because uh, it started the way i actually started to relearn hold objective play was with eyes of the nine which is why i recommend them uh, and then i just stuck playing with sepulchral guard eyes of the nine zarbags gets and then onto thorns because by the time i'd moved on to thorns i'd learned all the fundamentals so I had no problem playing with hold objectives because people generally didn't know what to do because they only knew the basics. Interesting. I feel like you've done that in the reverse order. Yeah, I have. I started on the hardest and then went to easy mode because the way I put it is like, now I know all the hard tricks. It's really easy to pull them off consistently with an easier warband. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah okay. Because uh, you go like, normally if I'm playing like Eyes of Nine, I need like four cards or something to pull this off. And then you, if you're like with Thorns or like even Zarbags, you go, I only need one card to pull this off. Uh, and it's that, that's why it's kind of like this reverse learning method. Like if you start with the hardest, yeah, you'll lose a lot, but it'll build you those fundamentals you can build off of and use in your repertoire permanently. Yeah. I th- so I think, the, I guess the, the final thing I'd say, I suppose relating to that is you've got to have your game plan and it, it goes back to deck building as well and you've just got to sit there and look at your ploys and probably as many of your upgrades as you can get it out of and go right what helps me do this how do i get yeah you need to i'm going to be where i want to be when i want to be there yeah you need to strike the balance of push cards for yourself but also disruption cards which is why i think confusion is so good um and then to add to that the only other thing is you have to keep in mind is your timing, when to play cards and why to play them. You, uh, Which, like, I'd recommend, again, listening to the podcast I did on deck building with David Smee. But for timing, that's something you have to learn because there's no right or wrong answer. It's something you just pick up from practice. You need to know when's the right time. Like, generally, you need to go into your head is, shall I play my push cards now to get me my surges or hold on and gamble yeah. to get my surges eventually, but then have the, the still have the utility and tools to guarantee I stay on those objectives if I draw into like supremacy and stuff. And some of that's going to be matchup dependent as well. You know, if, yeah. if you're playing it, um, another yeah, aggro. 
I was going to say, if you're playing aggro, I'd probably get on the objectives as late as possible. If I'm playing another objective warband, I'd probably get on them as early as possible because everyone's only got one confusion unless you're scared yes. of the nine. Um, yeah. uh, but that, that that's pretty much it because, yeah, you it's a really difficult one when you just go, oh, you just kind of have to know, but that's the best thing because there's no right or wrong answer and it just becomes down to your matchup knowledge and how much you've been playing with your warbands and your game plan. Yeah. Uh, but like my advice is always aim to be on more objectives than you need. Um, um, cause even then, like if you're only running a two objective deck, you always want to be on three objectives. If you're running supremacy, you ideally want to be on four objectives in an end phase. Cause that will just completely guarantee your end phase stuff. Yeah. And then they pull mischievous spirits. Yeah. <laughs> and you cry. And then you go, that's <laughs> fine. Cause you go like, two steps forward and if you're Grimwatch or you just do um ghoul call to move all your four no your three ghouls and you just go yeah that was fine i'm a pro player um but yeah then there's all this like the counterplay you have to keep up for up with is like you're not too concerned about people that push you're more concerned about aggro that kill your objectives uh that kill your fighters because the key thing to remember is you can't push a dead fighter no but also the worst one is warbands that remove objectives. So it's usually uh, Thundric, not Thundrix, um, Profcorn's Man Trappers or Magic Warbands because they're the ones who can remove objectives. And that kind of you have to, that's where stuff like Coveted Spoils becomes better because it's now easier to score. That's, but it's something you have to keep in mind. I think when um, when Hrothgorn sort of came out and was a big thing and everyone was running those delete objective builds, I was still, uh, I was still grinding with my gits at that point. And I had had coveted spoils in there, and I actually put infestation in as well, because um, it just says control every objective, which used to mean five, but actually it could mean one. Yes. So, um, yeah. And I even ran the spell for Zarbag to delete. on making, yeah. So you know, you feign way him onto their side, delete the other objective, and get a lovely big end phase. Um, and I, I played one of my <laughs> one of my mates. And he took three objectives off round one and went, I want to see you su- score supremacy now. And I had infestation and path to victory in hand. I was sitting there going, yeah, I mean, no, that's fine. I'm, a- I'm okay with not scoring supremacy here. So I think there is a little bit of, I suppose... Sneaky counterplay, yeah. Being aware of what um, opponents are doing and what's popular, you know. But I think that's... As I said, that's more like, yeah, once again, matchup knowledge. But um, I think we'll probably have to do a Zarbeg's Gits episode with you because I still think you're the best Gits player I've ever played because um, even the Gits te- tech I've seen now was like you've been doing it for months well years now um, but if you, if you want to see that shout, sh- message me in the comments or whatever and more than happy to do a Zarbeg's Gits guide maybe uh, I feel like I achieved everything I wanted to achieve when I beat your Grim oh, it's like yeah like me with my Spike Cross right. but you it's still fine to share the knowledge. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. We've covered everything in a nice comprehensive guide for hold objective play, I feel. Um, and the great thing is, yeah, we've designed it in such a way that even if you're watching this far in the future, generally, all the principles should carry over because it's all about maximizing your pushes in general, how to stay on objectives, how to think in the head of your scoring instead of just focusing on what you're scoring at the moment and how, yeah, just to stay on objectives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I hope you had a fun time watching and that helps improve how you play. And I'd love for you to tell me how you found it. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. And I'll just, uh, you can say goodbye now, Rob, if you'd like. Goodbye now, Rob. 
All right. Uh, well, yeah, this has been CritCast episode four, uh, Hold Objectives. Um, so, yeah, I'll see you guys in the future. Thanks for listening. <laughs>